Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. You know, uh, today is the anniversary death of uh, of newsman that most of you probably never heard of called H.B. Kaltenberg. And he used to say when he started his program, we have good news tonight. Well, um, we have good news tonight. We, I think we have a very exciting program. And our first guest, guest is David Nielsen. He's co-founder and CEO of Guidant Financial. Uh, I know a lot about him. But I'm going to, uh, first off, David, welcome to the program. And as we usually ask our, our uh, guests, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, thanks for having me uh, on the uh, the line today. Uh, well, uh, I am, the, as you said, the co-founder and CEO of a company called Guidance Financial Group. And Guidance's uh, core mission is to increase the number of people that succeed in small business. And, and the way that we do that is by helping people put intelligent capital to use. Um, I got into this business because I think like many, many small uh, businesses and individuals or entrepreneurs, they see chaos in a certain market and they see that as opportunity. And I saw, and my business partner saw an opportunity for us to help entrepreneurs uh, simplify the process by which they access capital to uh, start or acquire and then uh, grow their businesses. And um, And we started by focusing on you know, a niche market called rollovers for business startups. And as we, you know, I think gained mastery over that process, expanded into other uh, adjacencies like SBA lending, unsecured credit, and uh, and even equipment leasing. And over the course of the past 10 years, we've helped about 10,000 entrepreneurs in all 50 states access $3 billion. And so we're really excited about the success we're seeing there. Well, you've had great experience in this. Oh, uh, first question I'd have is, well, uh, is there money out there? We hear contradictory stories. Uh, and if so, how do you uncover that, the money that could fit you? Yeah, I mean, there definitely is capital available uh, for small businesses. I think the the catch, uh, really what you're alluding to, is that you know the, the market's fragmented. There's 
thousands of capital sources across the country, uh, most of which you know your average entrepreneur or small business owners never heard of, uh, and that's primarily because of the you know geography that they live in and who's who's uh, visible in those marketplaces. But the reality is there's billions of dollars that are sitting on the sidelines ready to invest in small businesses. Um, and so, you know, that's the thing that we work with. I think the over the course of the past 10 years, we've helped to, to develop relationships with hundreds of financial institutions across the country so that when an entrepreneur needs uh, help identifying a particular lender or a specific uh, capital source that would like to invest in businesses like theirs that we're able to easily identify that. Um, there are resources on the Internet today, uh, companies like uh, Bowfly, uh, like Guiding Financial Multifunding, there are organizations out there that have been aggregating these relationships to make it easier and more accessible to the Main Street entrepreneur. Yeah, uh, well, one of the questions that was sent to me, by, actually by several people, um, who seem perplexed by this? What are the three things that uh, lenders look for uh, when when evaluating a business for a loan? Sure. Well, as, as you can probably imagine, uh, it it does differ depending on the type of business uh, and the type of capital that's going to work. But maybe I could start at uh, the SBA or even conventional level. So somebody that's going to the bank and saying, I want to get an SBA loan to start this business or, or buy a franchise. Um, and there's, you know, there's quite a few things that the bank is going to look at. But if I was to try and take that at a high level and say, what are the top three? Uh, the first one that comes to mind is certainly credit. You know, the bank's going to want to see that an individual has been able to uh, build uh, and sustain good credit over a long period of time because they are going to be investing a significant amount of money um, or providing a significant amount of money to this individual, and they want to make sure that they've got a, a history of uh, managing good credit. The second would be uh, their equity injection and collateral. So these are, again, large investments for the bank to provide to an individual. They want to make sure that their individual has enough skin in the game to take that investment seriously, and there's really two primary ways that they would do that, and that is um, re requiring them to put a down payment, and generally what you'll see is somewhere around a 25% equity injection. And then they're going to want uh, some security for that loan, and that typically would come in, the, in terms of uh, you know, home equity um, or other large assets that they may, may own. Uh, and the last one uh, is simply the business plan, the model. Uh, and specifically the financial projections. The individual uh, has got to demonstrate that they've thought through their market, who their audience or potential customer is, who their competition is, how they'll differentiate themselves in the marketplace, uh, so on and so forth. So that the investment that the individual uh, is receiving from the bank is one that is uh, justifiable. Well, um, let's go on. You, you, you said that, but now on the other side, a small business person decides that he or she uh, needs money. What are some of the criteria you look uh, people look for in terms of uh, why, uh, what the money will be used for, and what are the preferred uh, uses? Well, generally, the, the the loan proceeds are going to be used for any necessary and ordinary business expense, and that could be to 
in the case of a franchise, acquire the rights to use that franchise and go through training uh, to operate that franchise, um, building out the actual uh, retail location if it's if it's needed, buying the equipment, um, the inventory to go live, start investing in marketing, uh, and even start you know paying your staff as you open the doors. You've got to have working capital that allows you enough time to get to profitability. So any of those necessary and ordinary business expenses are generally covered under your traditional uh, loan. Well, sometimes people, um, uh, it, by the time they realize they need money, it's too late. Um, uh, how does one prepare? Uh, should they be looking uh, uh, down the road before they uh, go? I, I know we often get frantic calls from people. I need money to, to uh, uh, pay for the new equipment I, I, I'm having delivered tomorrow. Um, uh, somewhat of an exaggeration, but not too much. I've actually had a yeah. call like that, um, uh, and uh, I had no answer for him at that time. But um, you know, they say as, as as a company expands, it needs more and more capital, and mm-hmm. uh, sometimes becomes a race to get the capital to keep up with the expansion. How do you plan, or is there a way of planning for uh, uh, for, for uh, obtaining additional capital? Sure. Well, it's not one size fits all, that's for sure. I think the uh, when it comes to capital needs, uh, it's it's as much an art that it is a science. So I think one of the things that I would recommend to a uh, small business owner or a prospective entrepreneur is that you know when they're building their plans. Um, avoid being the eternal optimist. Oftentimes we'll see entrepreneurs come to us and they'll have projections that are very lofty uh, and very aggressive, when in fact I think it's probably uh, in their best interest to be uh, more conservative when it comes to you know estimating their capital needs because oftentimes the runway is longer than they think it, uh, it will be. Uh, and then I would reassess those capital needs uh, every three to six months. Uh, I think that's got to be a discipline that every entrepreneur has because the business will change, you know, as it grows, as it as it morphs or pivots, uh, its needs for capital will will rise and fall. And it's important for them to continue to assess those because if they wait till the last minute, and this is very common in something that you illustrated in your example there a minute ago, if you wait till the last minute, uh, the power shifts from the individual who's seeking the capital to the institution that is providing it. And the, the rates, the terms get less friendly to the entrepreneur uh, the closer they get to desperation. Well, um, I know that for a fact, having experienced it myself. But now, what does guidance do? And how do you op- uh, operate? I mean, how do, do I go to your website? I mean, what's, what's the process that you go through at looking at, at someone? Sure. Well, there is um, uh, quite a few ways. First, we get many people that come to our website um, and request information or at least go through the educational content. Uh, and we've got you know, everything from a wizard where people can fill out their you know, uh, basic financial information just to get a quick quote to understand what kind of financing concepts they may uh, be eligible for. Uh, and then we spend time with individuals that want to invest the time. We'll take uh, you know an hour with an individual to go through their idea for their business, uh, the general concept of plan, and then um, try to, to estimate based on their credits, their uh, financials, and uh, 
and even their their business what type of uh, funding options they have. Now, if someone engages our services, then what we do is we go out to our network of lenders and try to bring uh, multiple LOIs to the table. Um, you know, once our services are engaged, we leverage our lending network to obtain letters of intent, and we're always trying to get at least three lenders to the table um, because you know, not to use the old lending free uh, uh, kind of marketing. Uh, Feel, but their you know their general concept was when banks compete, you win, and I think the same thing is here. So whenever we uh, have a client, we take them out to our lending sources, and we're trying to get them to compete based on um, the equity injection, the loan size, the closing costs, the interest rate, the terms, um, so that you know we can show an entrepreneur apples to apples, you know what how those terms are going to impact them in terms of cost of capital and carrying costs. Well. Um uh in, in some of the loans you've seen uh, in recent days in recent months uh what do you see have been the trends um uh, are there still loans with variable interest rate uh, pegged to the prime are there floors to the interest rate um well i guess my real question to ask is uh what is the uh, average uh, interest rate being charged to small businesses if you have a ballpark, if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, if you're going through more of the uh, traditional sources like, um, you know, conventional SBA lending, uh, it's not uncommon to see those rates uh, somewhere around 6%. So it's relatively inexpensive capital, and those can typically range from, you know, 7 to 10 years uh, from a, a, the term standpoint. Uh, but when I'm, you're looking at things – oh, go ahead. No, no, you first. You're doing a better job. <laughs> well, and then you see things like uh, equipment leases. You know, if someone's buying equipment and they're a startup, you know, they may see interest rates in the teens, whereas an existing business with a very proven track record and maybe even a preferred vendor could be in the, you know, the 8 to 10% range. So, you know, the rates and the terms will vary depending on the perceived risk by the lender. What our role uh, in this is to do is to identify um, as many opportunities as we can, and, and then help the candidate to actually demonstrate or put their best foot forward. Uh, we want to make help the lender understand why our clients um, should be considered bankable assets. Uh, uh, a lot of people uh, are saying nowadays that you should lease rather than buy. What What are your thoughts on that? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I think that's um, it's possible that it's based off of something that uh, Warren Buffett said uh, years ago when he said, I buy assets that appreciate and I lease or rent things that depreciate. Um, and I think there's something to be said for that. You know, it's not uncommon to see uh, when it comes to equipment, something that's going to lose value over time and need to be upgraded, um, you know, many times per se through a business's lifetime. Those are typically things that you see people leasing um, versus, um, assets, um, those are things that you know people are investing in. So most of our clients, with the exception of equipment, are buying rather than leasing, um, and that's generally where you see the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest separation between the two. Hmm. Um, but what? Uh, uh, so I guess. Uh, uh, by, by the way, you're, you're, that's a great one. So you buy assets that you think that'll appreciate, but you lease assets that you think will depreciate. Um, uh, uh, in your experience, you've been in this a long time. Um, 
uh, it, it almost seems now as if you could start a business, any business, as long as you have a computer, a keyboard, and an internet connection. And then you can almost uh, manage everything on your computer. Are you seeing that happening? And uh, does that affect uh, the amounts of money people need? Uh, we definitely are seeing that. I mean, I think the barrier to entry for entrepreneurs is becoming smaller and smaller as you know uh, we continue to, to gain access to better tools and systems and processes at a lower cost. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely am seeing that. Uh, I think the challenge that, that is starting to arise, though, is that with these businesses that are um, you know, more digital than retail, it's harder to estimate a value from a, a you know a financial institution standpoint. So it's helpful in the marketplace where you maybe have angels and you're trying to raise capital for a startup, um, but the bank is going to have a harder time estimating value uh, and will be likely more stringent about it. So the digital businesses become harder to lend to uh, in startup phase for sure. But where well, we're um, seeing we're seeing good traction is in. You know your uh, what I consider your more main street American small businesses, the retail locations, the you know the maid service down the street, the Subway sandwich store, the fast science business. Those types of organizations are you know still very crucial to um, you know our economy thriving, small businesses getting the services and the individuals getting the personal services that they need, um, and those are the ones that you know there's uh, insatiable demand to, to finance. Um, I saw a study come across my desk yesterday that s said that more um, there are more entrepreneurs who are approaching or past retirement age who are trying to sell their business, uh, and that one of the reasons they, uh, they're not able to sell it is because the people that want to buy it can't find financing. Do you want to talk about that um, and give you uh, give us your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think at the beginning of the show, I made the comment that we jumped into this business to solve what we saw as a chaotic problem um, that has dramatic impacts on, you know, small business owners in our economy. Uh, access to capital, or at least the perception of access to capital, is is uh, challenging. So I I'm not surprised to see that. I think banks today learned some lessons from the crash of 2008, and that is that they need to be a little bit more stringent about the way they underwrite these transactions. Uh, and, and about providing capital to those that have shown that they are responsible in managing that type of, uh, of credit. So, yeah, I mean, we certainly are seeing that they are spending more time, uh, but for qualified borrowers, uh, financing is possible. I think that's one of the, the ways that we are improving that experience for entrepreneurs because the general premise or general uh, way that an individual would see capital is they would go to their own bank, the person that they have a checking and savings account with. And they would tell this banker, hey, I want a loan. I want $300,000 to buy this business. And the banker is going to either tell them yes or no. And more times than not, it's a no. But we're taking that same individual out to multiple financing sources and looking for someone who wants to consume that type of loan or provide a loan to that type of individual in that geographic territory. So we dramatically increase the number of people who are able to obtain credit because we give them access to more sources. Uh, and, yeah, you are seeing the baby boomers who currently own businesses starting to exit those. And uh, in order for them to be able to do that, they have to have buyers who can access credit. The kind of old-school way of accessing credit uh, doesn't work uh, the way that it used to, and it's time for both entrepreneurs and small business owners to adopt a new way of thinking. 
Uh, David, uh, it's, we're talking with David Nilsson. He's co-founder and CEO of Guidance Financial. Uh, we have to invite you best, back. I see our next guest is ready to join us. But first, can, tell people how they can reach you and your company. You bet. Uh, we're uh, on the line, just like everyone else, at uh, guidancefinancial.com. That's G-U-I-D-A-N-T financial.com or toll-free at 888-472-4455. Uh, we repeat it again for our audience. You bet. It's guidancefinancial.com. Uh, it's G-U-I-D-A-N-T financial.com and then 888-472-4455. Uh, and we provide free consultations to those who are interested in um, understanding how uh, they might be able to finance a small business. We'd be happy to talk to any of your listeners. David, please come back again and talk some more. I learned a lot, and I hope our audience did. I'd be happy to, and thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming. Our next guest is Tom Caparasso. He's CEO of Claris Marketing Group. And what I really found fascinating about this is uh, he believes that um, small and large companies can build sales uh, and customize uh, through customized subscription programs. And I'm really looking forward to hearing him. Tom, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Well, Tom, we always ask our, our guests first to tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we get into the topic. Sure. So um, I've been in the um, online subscription direct marketing space for the last uh, 20 plus years, um, really focused on uh, driving customer acquisition into either subscription products, continuity products, membership programs, loyalty programs. Um, so a lot of my experience has been about um, really direct marketing, acquiring customers, and ultimately getting them engaged in a, uh, a subscription-like program um, that drives value, you know, repeat purchase, average order value, everything like that. So that's really where my experience lies over the last 20-plus years. Well, first, uh, for our audience, let, let's uh, define what you mean by subscription uh, programs uh, and the other three that you mentioned, because uh, I know I'd like to kn- know the differences. So if <laughs> if you wouldn't mind starting there, uh, it'd be helpful. Sure. So you know, there's definitely different types of programs. Um, I'll start with subscription. A subscription could be anything, you know, from an old school um, newspaper subscription to, you know, my grandmother getting milk delivered on her stoop uh, back in the day, um, where you're paying uh, either an annual or a monthly biannual quarterly fee, uh, and you're getting an ongoing service. Uh, so that would be that would be subscription. Um, continuity is is much. Um, there's a lot of different continuity programs out there now. Um, you know, a Birch Box is a great example, or a Dollar Shave Club, where you're getting actually a physical good, um, maybe the same thing every month, maybe something different, um, but it's really a kind of a continuity program. You signed up and you you signed up to get something different. Uh, excuse me, something the same every month. So that could be coins, that could be collectibles, that could be uh, razor blades, that could be perfume, uh, but you're getting something every month. 
And then really the third bucket is the the loyalty slash membership bucket where, you know, I'll kind of put those in the in the same um, bucket. It's really around a product or a service um, that typically you're either signing up for free or signing up for a fee and you're getting access to benefits. Those benefits could be free shipping, they could be return shipping, it could be a cashback product, it could be streaming video, it could be a lot of different things, um, but it's really based around uh, a membership into something or loyalty for a specific retailer. Well, that was about as complete as I've heard, and thank you. <laughs> sure. Uh, no, I think it's important. Uh, by the way, the, the, you, you mentioned several uh, subscriptions. Uh, I actually saw one the other day that talked about giving you a, a new socks each month. They are actually, on a, um, and, and then, uh, but uh, I found that fascinating. Now, having said that, I'm a small business. Fifty-nine percent of our audience are small business owners sure. and/or presidents. Uh, how do how do they get into it? And well, the first question is why should they get into it? Yeah, well, for for a small business, um, you, you can get into it. Small, medium, large business. Uh, it's a any type of subscription model is something that you want to drive consumers in. You want to give them value. For a small business, the beauty of a subscription model is the recurring revenue that you'll generate on an or monthly basis. Um, so depending on what your business does, um, again, it could be any one of those three three areas that we talked about earlier. But you know that once you acquire a customer, they're in the program, and then you have a recurring revenue stream each month. So if you can acquire the customer at a good rate um, and get them into the program and then drive value into the program, drive stickiness and engagement in the program, the consumers are ultimately going to stay with the program, and that's where you're going to make your money through that recurring revenue model. So rather Wait, than uh, go out and – yep, go ahead. I, I'd like you to stop you there. How do you provide stickiness and value? That's the question that was sent to me uh, when they saw that you were coming on the program. Yeah, so value can be derived from a lot of different areas, and it's really important to understand – um, what your customers need and want. And so each each customer base or, or program could be a little bit different. But value can be, you know, buy one, get one. It could be a 10% off coupon. It could be free shipping for someone who joins the program. It could be return shipping uh, as another benefit. Um, as more and more of these products grow, um, you know, you're starting to see streaming video embedded um, into some of these products. So, they can all be very different, um, but it's really understanding what your customer, customer base is craving. They may be craving free shipping and free returns, and you could build a whole program around that and really build a prepaid shipping program so that you're acquiring a customer and that you're getting, they're getting access to free shipping offers and return shipping offers um, each month um, or on an ongoing basis. So. Again, the beauty of a subscription model is that you're acquiring them once and then you're getting that recurring revenue each month versus acquiring a new customer every single month. Uh, once you get one, um, and again, you get it for the right price, you back into an effective cost for acquisition that works for your model, you then can very easily start to build out 
a lifetime value of that customer by driving value in the program and ultimately having them stay around. Well, um, uh, would one of these programs, I noticed that the local diner that I go to, I have a friend that we meet about once or twice a week, now has uh, an app on your on the smartphone that each time you go in, you hit it, and uh, uh, you get after seven visits, you get a free dessert, and after uh, 25 visits, you get a free dinner. Is that the type of thing you're talking about? It could be. That could be exactly it. Um, that's really built on... Um, kind of a repeat purchase model. It could be points-based. It could be, uh, you know, get a free cup of coffee when you come in um, for the next five times. It, it really depends on what you're trying to do with your customers. What What is the goal of the program? You know, we work with a lot of different clients, and part of our first step before we ever really come to them with an idea is just understand and analyze their business and where are their pain points, what are their kind of key metrics that they're trying to drive to. That could be repeat customers in a diner. That could be driving your average order value up online. All, all the different uh, clients that we work with are, are a little bit different, um, but having a, a much more customized program based on those metrics that you're trying to either hit or uh, improve on is really the key around uh, a loyalty or subscription product. Well, well uh, I did a little checking on you, as I do with many of our uh, guests, and you have a, your company, Claris Marketing Group, has a very good reputation. Um, but w w what's the level? Um, uh, you, you don't take on mom and papa stores, do you? Um, uh, yeah, we work with. You know, we work with um, you know very small retailers to the the largest retailers in the world and the largest financial institutions in the world like Mastercard. Um, but we have you know small small retailers, medium sized retailers, and we also work with the Walmart and Kohl's of the world. Um, really, the the model that we we have is a is a loyalty slash kind of prepaid shipping model because we work with so many online retailers. And our product that we, we market to a lot of those customers is called freeshipping.com. And, um, and that is really kind of our off-the-shelf product that we work with a lot of different retailers. We have another side of our business that really takes our platform that, that powers freeshipping.com and customizes it for our retail clients. So we have you know, smaller catalogs that we drive their loyalty programs for. Um, and then we have a subscription program that we run for MasterCard. So we really kind of run the gamut from, you know, small, medium, and large. The beauty of, um, again, the subscription model is that once you understand what um, any size retailer or financial institution is looking for, you can really build a program. And that's really where our strength is at Claris is understanding that, adapting to that, and ultimately building the right solution for the right client. Well, uh, I know, I, as I say, uh, uh, this week has been an interesting week because I've never gotten as many emails for questions. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and I guess the, the one that uh, uh, most seems to come up with, uh, how do you measure the cost, uh, the cost versus the benefits of your of programs like yours? 
Yeah, a lot of it comes down to, one, understanding your metrics before you ever go into a subscription product. So again, your metrics can be repeat purchases. They could be average order value. They could be, you know, driving someone into a store to make a purchase. So that's really the first step is benchmarking where you are today and then what's important for you to, to move and what you know, if you're going to uh, charge a subscription, what is that value of that subscription um, or a charge to the consumer? And then ultimately, what's the value in the program? So, yeah, I'll give you an example. For instance, if you're trying to drive your average order value up and you know it's at $50, um, you could drive a, a free shipping deal that's tied to a $60 threshold um, as part of the program. Or you can give it um, free shipping all the time and just try to drive repeat purchases. So it's really important to benchmark where you're at to, before you start. And then you do a, a kind of a cost-benefit analysis of, hey, if you wanted to give away this promotion, it was going to cost you $2, but you're ultimately going to drive a repeat purchase or two or three, whatever that number is, um, you know, you have to do that analysis of what that subscription will be, what those the cost of benefits uh, will be, and ultimately what the ultimate value is to the consumer, and will they use it, and engage it, and stay with the program? Uh, I'm going to so, just I mean, inter- go ahead. Yeah, keep go ahead. going. No, keep well, going. Well, you know, I, I, our piece of the puzzle for, is really we do a lot of data-driven analysis. We do uh, all of our decision-making is based on data, both both really pre-putting a program in place and then understanding um, and reading the data and then optimizing the program on a go-forward basis. Uh, The the thing about subscription programs is that it's not a set and forget. Uh, You continually need to be uh, looking at where um, your consumers are using the program, what benefits do they like, what benefits aren't they using, and continue to optimize um, the benefit mix, as well as, you know, we're doing a lot more uh, with our clients and with our own programs around personalization. So if I know that you, um, you know, bought a red sweater, for instance, I want to I populate a lot of information around red sweaters or a specific brand like Under Armour clothes you bought in the past. We want to drive um, you know, a specific offer that we might have gotten from Under Armour to all those customers that are, are Under Armour wearers. So th- things like that where you can really personalize it um, and bring that, that, that nice touch to the customer that really says, hey, we know what you want, we understand it, and we're going to give you a great offer uh, to drive another repeat purchase. That's that's the things that we're really kind of digging into, and that's all that's all really hidden in the data, and you got to got to dig in there and get it. Well, Tom, I want you to just stop for one minute. We have someone uh, waiting, and I uh, wasn't scheduled. Hello from two four eight. Who are, who is here? Hello. Hello, this is, uh, well, uh, she's there, but um, not answering. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, Tom. You were doing so okay. well. But let's hope they stay on, and we'll, we'll, when we finish with you, we'll go back. Uh, sure. Our next guest wasn't scheduled for another 10 minutes. That's why uh, I was surprised, and they've been on for a while. But what we may have is... Uh, and I thought it might be someone here with a question. No, just uh, went away. But anyway, uh, 
you, you know, you're interesting. You brought that up. Uh, I bought a, a, uh, an undergarment for outfit for my wife, and now about three months ago for uh, an occasion for our, an occasion, and now I'm being inundated by that particular <laughs> store as if yeah. I'm a woman. Right, right. Yeah, that's the birth of kind of retargeting online. I don't know if you bought it online. I'm sure you had did, but um, yeah, that is uh, you are now kind of labeled in that database as as buying that product, and ultimately their goal is going to be to get you to buy more. Now, uh, it sounds like yours might have been a one-time event, and maybe retargeting isn't the right right fit, but. You know, that really goes to the personalization of of what's going on online. So, you know, even if you visited a page and looked at a, a specific um, a specific item, you're going to start to see that item kind of follow you all, all around the web. It could be Facebook. It could be um, on the newspaper that you're reading. Um, you're going to see that whatever Under Armour shoe because you went to that page and looked at it, and they, they're going to follow you. And, you know, ultimately, you're either going to make that purchase or not, but retargeting definitely shows that you had interest in a specific item, and ultimately, they're looking for um, a conversion downstream, and they're going to try to follow you around because they know you're interested, and ultimately, you may see it two or three or four times and then say, okay, now I'm ready to buy that shoe. Uh, where that model falls apart seems like it's in, in your specific example where you bought something for your wife and it's it's maybe a one-time event, not something you're going to buy on an ongoing basis. But uh, but that's really kind of what's happening online is really that retargeting there's there and following you around and trying to ultimately get a, a sale from you. Well, I, uh, I'll just give you one more example. I, I keep being targeted for uh, uh, garage floor paint, and I haven't <laughs> figured that one out. But um, uh, um, uh, our uh, our guest is back. Um, uh, let me just invite. Uh, uh, I believe. Hello, uh, from area code two four eight. Who's calling? Uh, yes, good evening. This is Brian Ray. I was asked to call at 8.30. Oh, okay. Um, be patient with you, with us, and we'll get to you, okay? Absolutely. Thank you. We're kind of an informal program. I don't have an engineer for my program, so I do it all myself. And uh, I also do the scheduling. Sometimes uh, I double schedule. <laughs> no problem. No, you you're doing great, and I. Uh, but now I'm a small business. Mm-hmm. You you know, uh, this all seems like a lot of stuff that uh, big business would do. How can we drill it down a little bit, and get uh, give some advice to smaller businesses? Yeah, I guess the first the first piece of information I'd, I'd give is really try to gather as much information as you can on your current customers and it could be as informal as um, asking them when they're in their store or if you're running a, a online uh, website just understanding how they're interacting with the the site I mean you can use free tools like Google Analytics to understand where people are coming into the site where people are interacting with the site what pages they're looking at that's a free tool today that's very easy to put in onto your website uh, so ultimately getting all that information and then really trying to digest that information and, and 
kind of find the nuggets um, that are in there that are, are positive and that you really want to move the, the needle. So I, I would always start with the data, try to understand the data the best you can, try to, to garner as much data as you can. And once you have all that together, then you really will start to see some trends kind of walk through that data. And ultimately from those trends, you could say, hey, here's what I'm thinking for a loyalty program, a subscription program, a prepaid shipping program, whatever it might be. Um, and here are the kind of the core benefits. I mean, that, that's something that we do at Claris all the time with our clients, uh, again, big and small, but um, and trying to really help them navigate that, um, that understanding of the data and ultimately making decisions based on that. I was just taking care of a uh, of one of uh, a caller who brought in a, qu a question. Uh, okay. Uh, Tom. Yes. Uh, how, uh, their question to to you was where can, I'm trying to phrase it uh, in, a, in a better way than she did, but I'll say it. Um, when should a company consider this? Uh, when they first start off business uh, or uh, when they're more mature? That's a great question. Um, it really can be either. Uh, I guess the, the, it's probably the, the, the more mature, um, just because you need to understand your customer base first um, and understand how they're interacting with your product or service. And once you have that benchmark, then you can really start to dig into what a program might look and feel like. So it's hard to start, um, you know, a brand new business um, without any data. So I would always say get the data first, understand what, what and how they're using your, your product and service, and then start to build a program or product around that. And that could be any of the, the things that we talked about earlier. But I'd always start with the data, so I'd say a little bit more mature, uh, and once you, once you start understanding those customers, then you're going to make an educated decision. Okay. Tom, if people want to reach you or your company, how do they do it? Sure. So um, the company, again, is Claris Marketing Group. Um, the company website is clarismarketing.com. That's spelled C-L-A-R-U-S marketing.com. And all of our contact information, contact form, uh, can be found on the site. Oh, uh, Tom, we want you to come back another time and talk some more, because sure, uh, this, this is uh, you've really been enlightening to us, and I Great. really thank you for for coming on and putting up with these interruptions. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. No, thank you, and, and please come again. We'll do. Have a great night. Our next guest is Leo Des of Brevo. Hello. Well, you've been waiting. Now we've got you on, and you're not here. Lee, are you here? Well, we'll take a short break from one of our sponsors, and then we'll see if Lee comes back on. Just how dangerous is social networking? Use of websites like Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube are all the rage. But what are the downsides of this new technology? 
The incidents of bullying, stalking, harassment, and inappropriate content are increasing. Just how dangerous is it? What can you do to protect your child and yourself from it? Go to protectivecountermeasures.com for a free hour-long video on the dangers of social networking. That's protectivecountermeasures.com for your free hour-long video. Hello. Hi, sir. Leo Des, how are you? I'm, I'm pretty good. We, we, we have another guest. Um, who's been yeah, on and somebody off. Else. I was listening to uh, to the podcast and somebody else called in. Right. Um, Lee, welcome to the program. Uh, Thank you, sir. You're here to talk about uh, why small businesses need phys- physical security. I thought it, w- yeah. uh, it was a really interesting subject. No one had brought it up for that I had seen, and I, I thought very that we should... Uh, uh, we should have you on the program. But as we ask every guest, um, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we get into anything else. Sure. Uh, so before I came to Brevo uh, as the vice president of marketing, I, I had a small business myself locally with my wife. We were an audio-video uh, design and installation company in the Washington, D.C. market. And we also owned a catering company. So uh, both of us uh, had our own businesses at the same time and uh, decided the, the catering uh, was a, a bit much uh, from what we wanted to do and the AV company was taking off. So uh, we focused there and ended up selling that about three years ago. And then uh, I came uh, on to Brevo as a, I used to sell the product. And so I was familiar with it and uh, I've been there since. Well, okay um, and you're in the Washington D.C. area, 301. I see. Yes. Uh, okay. Maryland. Well, all right. Now, having said that, tell us why a small business needs physical security. Well, sure. Uh, so, depending on what type of business you are, really, uh, the physical building itself of keeping just the peace of mind side of things. So not just locking it up, but then uh, you notice you spent a lot of time there. You spent some time out of it, but um, keeping the assets uh, that you have protected as well as uh, if you're not there, the ability to have a sort of keep an eye on uh, the facility. Uh, so through things like video and whatnot um, to protecting not only the employees, but then also uh, customers, depending on if the business is a 24 seven type business, um, the, the peace of mind aspect and protection of the space and the assets that you have um, is, is, is one big reason why people utilize security systems. Well, with the Internet, uh, I happen to be, be on the board of a medical marijuana facility here in New Jersey, and, and we have cameras every place, all linked to the state police and uh, all over the place. Uh, not a, uh, we really have to be protected. But um, uh, how does one? Uh, I have a store. What? Uh, what? I guess what it's saying. What is the minimum that I should be doing if I have a store? Uh, sure. In terms of, of physical. Sure. There's there's three aspects of the the stool really. There's intrusion, which is what most people think of security, which is the the alarm that goes off is say somebody breaks in. So that's one area. 
The second one is video, uh, and you're seeing a lot of people utilize uh, hosted video, so cloud-based video. Um, but they also make on-premise video systems, so that's using cameras to to take video. And then the third would be uh, access control, which is, if you think of it, almost as digital keys. So either on cards uh, or now people are utilizing their phones to uh, to enter into their, their buildings. Well, but should you have cameras in every place except the bathroom or uh, give us some um, give us how you would go about this working with sure. a, a potential and, customer. Sure, and I can tell you uh, my own personal experience of the space that we had, which uh, in some areas we had merchandise in the back. Uh, and if you're retail dealing with money, there might be uh, an office that you have where you keep uh, records uh, and, and say, you know, from payments or, or your employees. So, you have different offices, so you have the perimeter of the space, if you would. So if there's off, if there's a door to enter, it could be the dark delivery door if you're a restaurant in the back, or it could be the the one front door that uh, your all your employees come through. So you'd want to at least do the doors that you have on the perimeter, and then interior you would do the well, you can think of them almost as uh, high value spaces, like I said, where you have records possibly or merchandise. Um, so at a minimum, you'd want to, to arm those doors. And then from the camera side of things, um, really depends on how you use the space. If it's a public space um, where people can come in and out, we typically see people do cameras at the doors so they can keep track of who is coming and who's going. And then usually a wider lens, uh, say, for the overall open space. Um, and then anywhere that you have uh, inside rooms where not only do you want to know who's coming and going, but able to do a visual uh, recognition of that person. So at a minimum, typically we see um, uh, anywhere from two to four doors on the smaller side and then two to four cameras typically. Um, and then it just grows from there. Uh, so that, that's usually the, the beginning. Well, I got, I got an email um, about your coming on and the question they ask is, um, how long should you, A, should you tape that, and B, how long should you keep the tapes, or the, in this case, discs nowadays? Sure. And actually, I'll take it one step further to having it stored in the cloud. So in some aspects, you don't even have to have a physical uh, tape locally that you would do that. And on average, so we offer everything from live to 15-day to 30, 60, 90 and then we do uh, one year. Uh, the majority of our customers purchase the 30 days, um, and that's thousands and thousands of people. So if you use that data point, majority of people are doing anywhere from 30 days uh, is on average. Well, um, uh, it was very interesting. We had, a, because we uh, um, in our facility have 24-hour and we keep records, we have to keep records from day one. Um, uh, we heard of an incident in another facility where uh, the, they were able to prove that there was no sexual harassment. Is that a byproduct? In a, um, and is that a, uh, obviously it's a good thing, but do, do you see that as an advantage? Yeah, so that's actually, you know, people typically go straight to the peace of mind when they're thinking of these systems, but there's a couple other things that happen out of it. Number one is verification of stuff like that. Um, we have actually a customer in Chicago that, that we talked to 
um, that was trying to figure out where theft was happening and ended up being able to watch the video to see actually an employee taking from the register. Um, and then actually when they had someone steal a bike, uh, they were able to uh, utilize that tape right away, pull the clip and email it actually over to the police station. So this the speed of uh, being able to do verification was there. Um, we also see people like to use the ability to manage their business from not being physically on site. So say you're at home. I know, for instance, I was able to use the video system from my old business when uh, my employees would be at the office and I, the guy had to pull a certain type of wire from the storage unit and he would use the camera to show me so I can do, uh, I can visually see it instead of me having to pack up and drive down to the office. So I was able to manage it remotely. Um, we also have a, uh, couple retail, uh, customers that we know have used it to where, uh, say a manager was late to open the door to let the employees in and customers. So instead of having to drive to Southern California, they were able to remotely from their phone, uh, unlock the door. Um, and then we have a gym too. I know that they use this. They like they used to be only open from, you know, 6 a.m. to like 7 p.m. at night. And they made a business decision to go 24-7. And how they did that was they handed out key cards uh, to their uh, customers. And they were able to then uh, take advantage of after hours and weekends. Uh, so they turned into a 24-7 gym. Wow. That's really interesting. The, the, inter- the Internet sure has changed the world, hasn't it? <laughs> in, in many many ways, yes. Well, uh, let's uh, let's talk now uh, about your company. Tell us a little bit about because we're running a, a short on time. Uh, sure, not a problem. So happy to do that. So yeah, Brevo uh, started 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we started actually from a SaaS model, so uh, we're the only cloud-based access control system where everybody typically has client server type computer systems on site, we actually utilize the cloud. So uh, all of the benefits that you get from SaaS tools, we see that in the physical uh, security space. Um, We're worldwide. We have a network of over 300 dealers uh, that that resell our product in the marketplace. Um, And like I said, we do access control, we do video. um, And yeah, you could find us uh, anywhere really. Okay, and uh, your website? Yes, uh, brivo.com, B-R-I-V-O.com. Lee, I'm going to have to say thank you tonight. We have other people coming on board, and the the switchboard is uh, lighting up. So uh, No problem. I appreciate the opportunity. No, and we're going to have you back again to talk more. All right? Would love to. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, Ariel, are you on? I am on. Okay, but there's somebody else on uh, um, from 617. That means uh, they're in Boston. (laughs) I'm trying to get them. uh, You're on on air. Hello. Hello, Jordan Fliegel with Coach. Okay. Uh, uh, John, I see we have double booked again. Uh, my audience is used to that with me by now, I hope. But um, 
if you um, if you will hold on, I have uh, Ariel coming, and then uh, we're going to go over to have your have you you on. So, can you stay with us for a while? Sure. Uh, uh, this is Ariel's spot, um, but but uh, I will be back to you. I promise. Okay. Okay. No problem. I'm gonna. Ariel, we've we've had a very interesting night tonight. We've had people coming on and off. It's really been something. Yes, I've so, been listening in. It certainly has been something. <laughs> but uh, Ariel, you join us to talk about your new book, Crowd Start, and um, I've sent you a couple of emails from people that didn't want to wait for the show, but wanted to talk to you before the show. <coughs> I hope you got them. I they've been calling the office all day today, indeed. So uh, that's good to that's good to hear. Um, first, let's give a little bit about your background, and then uh, we'll we'll go into your subject um, <coughs> a little bit more thoroughly. And I promise I'm going to invite you back uh, when uh, very soon to finish this conversation because I I want to keep a uh, I don't want to keep our other guests waiting. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your book and about social media trends. Sure. Um, so a little bit about myself. I've been running a digital PR firm for, well, bef- since before social media even was coined the term social media. I've And um, we work with creative entrepreneurs and small businesses, and we help them find their voice online, get exposed to the blogosphere, and help them with social media strategy. And um, I'm a strong believer that if you're invisible online in 2015, you better uh, not be anymore, because if if you're not, you're going to be left behind. So we help our clients navigate the best social sites and figure out how to... um, become influencers in their domains and connect with the right customers. But how did you figure it out so early? I was a traditional publicist, and I started my traditional firm in the mid-90s. And I was working with a demographic of clients who were the first on the chopping block when the death of traditional media started happening. So as the newspapers were getting... Uh, minimized and and the entertainment reporters were getting uh, downsized. My clients were the first on the chopping block because we were representing mostly independent musicians at the time, and I realized that that there was no future for 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 that type of work, and so I started looking for other ways that I could promote my artists. Back then, also, mp3.com and and the rampant stealing of intellectual property of artists uh, began happening, and I realized, oh boy, we better do something, because if we can't beat them, we might as well join them. So um, that's how I started. It was absolutely out of necessity, and um, it turns out I I love social media marketing, and and the way of connecting um, really resonated with me, and so... I became an early adopter and rode the white the right waves basically. Well, now, but why did you come to write a book on crowdfunding? Well, first, I, my first two books are all about 
social media marketing and how to do it effectively. And a couple of years ago, about 18 months ago, I did my own crowdfunding campaign and I raised $62,000, which for a small business was um, very exciting and it helped me do a lot of things that as an entrepreneur that had always bootstrapped my company, I hadn't been able to do. And I realized how powerful it was, but I also realized how much work it takes. And there's a lot of conflicting information out there about um, how to do crowdfunding, um, websites like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and GoFundMe and all the others you may have heard of. The, the interfaces are quite simple and elegant, and it looks like, oh, I'll just sign up and I'll get all the money I want just by asking. Uh, and it's actually a little bit more involved and complicated than that. So as the, the gal who has been known to simplify things that feel complicated, I decided to take on writing a 30-day roadmap to crowdfunding, which is what CrowdStart will be. Well, is the book available now? Because I, I sure could use it, and I, I certainly, judging by the audience and, and the emails I'm getting, there's a lot of interest. Actually, the book is in its final uh, um, final stages of editing right now, so it will be available this spring. Well, uh, you're going to find me on the list uh, as well. But if people want, well, if people wanted to. Uh, uh, talk to you and get a head start. How do they do it? Um, well, you can read articles that I've written and find out a lot about what we do and get some tips at cyberpr, c y b e r p r dot com. Well, uh, and if they want to reach you directly now, because that's what um, they're, they're all asking for. Twitter is the best way to get me. I'm cyberpr. And if you'd like to get in touch in a more formal way, every single possible way you can get me is widely available at cyberpr.com. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do, Ariel. What, the, uh, the, the week or the month that the, the book is published, we're going to have you back, and then we're going to have a, a we're going to devote a half hour to the, the book and you, and we're going to go through it page by page. Oh, that sounds exciting! I look forward to that. Okay, because I'm uh, um, I'm going to take this next caller because we're uh, we're already past the hour, but thankfully we can go to nine thirty. And uh, but I, I definitely want you back. And well, we're thank you very about... much. We'll be in touch. I hope the rest of the show is not quadruple booked. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's my fault. Okay, it's Cheers. my fault, and I. Uh, my my producer is not hasn't been on this week, and uh, I've had to do it. So let me go to our last guest, and we'll definitely be, uh, stay in contact. Sounds good. Our final guest, hopefully, can, can introduce himself because I don't have you on the schedule. So hello, okay. uh, hi, hello. Uh, Jordan Flegel, founder and president of CoachUp. Uh, CoachUp is the nation's leading sports coaching company. We connect athletes with private coaches all across the country. Well, thank you for your first. Thank you for your patience. Um, sure. uh, I have you scheduled for next week, but that's okay. 
We'll have you on uh, now. I I found that um, uh, if I re- and if I recall what we discussed, uh, and and by the way, uh, uh, you help match if I understand it correctly, match coaches to to athletes. Did I get it right? Yeah, that's right. So if you are a parent and you have a child who plays basketball or soccer or football, any sport really, uh, anything from those major sports on through yoga and dance and fitness, you go on to coachup.com and you enter where you live, what sport you're looking for instruction in, either for yourself or for your child. And uh, we show you the best trainer in the area that uh, are on our system that are vetted, background checked, reviewed. And uh, we handle everything from payments to scheduling, mobile apps, uh, to make sure that you're connected with the right coach and um, and to make sure that you get the most out of your training. Well, uh, I noticed the pro athletes use uh, coaches, and there's even here in New Jersey two or three major facilities where they teach uh, potential dra- NFL draft choices how to uh, better themselves in the in the trials which just ended um uh, last week but um how did you get into this uh sure yeah 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 great question um so actually i was an athlete i was a basketball player wasn't very good was on the freshman team as a freshman in high school and uh over the summer uh, a camp counselor agreed to work with me one-on-one and he became my private coach he had played uh, collegiate basketball and through his instruction, I was able to make varsity as a sophomore and become a starter on varsity as a sophomore. And I kept working with him every summer. And I went from really being a very average high school in college and then playing professionally uh, overseas in Europe. Well, coach um, uh, as well. Keep going. No, no. Uh, I don't want to interrupt. I sometimes interrupt when I shouldn't. But. Uh, <laughs> Well, so I, yeah, no, so I had this great experience. Not only did I become a better basketball player, but I also became a much more confident person. I became better at school. My parents saw a real transformation in me as a player and as a person. And I actually became a really good student. And I think the work ethic that my basketball coach instilled uh, in me spilled over to other areas of my life, from academics to, to my professional life and business now. And I want to have that same impact as a mentor, as a coach, and other basketball players in my hometown. And so for the past 10 years, I've been doing private instruction. Um, kids ranging from, you know, grade school to high school on up through professional players I coach. Uh, and, well, um, so, yes, go ahead. Well, uh, are you primarily uh, high school, uh, college, or uh, or is it all levels? Yeah, so, well, you know, on Coach Up, I realized that I wasn't, you know, uh, real problems with, with the system. It's hard to find good coaches and know that they're safe and background checked and, and high quality. There's all sorts of variables that go into the decision-making process, price, distance, location, availability. And as a coach, it's really hard to market and manage your business. On Coach Up, uh, we have 13,000 coaches now across the country. Uh, we have over 100,000 athletes who use our service. Uh, we conduct hundreds of training sessions every day uh, all across the country. So we have, uh, we're really number one uh, company now in the sports coaching industry, uh, which is a very highly fragmented industry before Coach Up. Um, but the kids uh, or, or the athletes who use Coach Up, it's, it's a wide range. Again, everywhere from grade school and high school, which is the majority of our clients, on up to college and professional athletes, as well as adults who are looking to lose weight or get in shape or 
uh, learn how to play tennis or improve their golf playing or whatever it might be. Well, you, you know, the, I found it fascinating that that you were able to identify a need and, and supply it. Uh, but there's an old axiom in marketing that uh, uh, supply a need and you'll make money, supply a desire and you'll make a fortune. Um, generally, why do coaches, why do parents want coaches? Uh, what are the two or three main reasons? Sure. You think? Well, number one, um, you know, the number one uh, topic of conversation typically around uh, a dinner table in which uh, you have kids who play sports uh, tends to be the sports. It's um, something that's really enjoyable for the kids. They love playing sports. They're passionate about sports. Uh, if you know uh, soccer moms and little league dads, uh, they're really passionate about uh, their child's participation in sports. Um, it's it's a very American tradition. It, it's something that uh, really can connect the whole family. So um, it, it never made sense to me that uh, something that's so competitive uh, and so skill-based as sports impacts on a young person's life, not only in the game, but what the game teaches you, um, that we never really had help for our kids, that it was expected that in school you get a tutor, but in sports it was up to dad to take son out back and show him how to throw a football or shoot a basket. Um, and coaches change that. Uh, there's a lot of studies and data that show that coaches are more influential in the development of a child's life than even the <coughs> teachers. You know, sports is really a vehicle that you can learn a lot through. And so coaches are really, really impactful, so important in our kids' lives. And I think it's a very natural tendency for parents to want to support their kids and want to help them develop as, as, as people, as adults. And uh, sports is a big part of that. And coach, coaching is really interesting. It's a highly fragmented $6 billion industry. Uh, in which we said, you know, even though coaches are so important, there's no standards, there's no reviews, there's no background checks, there's no platform that makes sure that coaches are good and coaches are responsive and that they deliver a good service. That's not true in the taxi industry. That's not true in the industry. It's not well, true you, in tutoring and academic industries, but uh, we're changing that in coaching. Do you do background checks on these coaches? We do. And, and do you on occasion bar coaches from uh, being on on your we, your site? We do. So we have an internal coach selection committee. I should mention we've raised ten million dollars in venture capital. Twenty five full time employees at our headquarters who do nothing but improve the product and deliver great customer service. Uh, we have a, an internal team that reviews all applications from coaches. We work closely with professional leagues. We have thousands of former NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer players on Coach Up. Uh, we're directly helping solve a, a major problem, which is for, for professional athletes when you're done playing, you want to stay involved in your sport, but you're not necessarily great at building a website or marketing your service. What, what do you do when you're playing? How do you stay involved in your sport, give back, make a living, doing something that you love? For that. But our, our coach selection committee ensures that coaches are safe and pass background checks, that they've played or coached at an extremely high level. Um, and we have all sorts of data that we track, data that no one else in the coaching industry tracks, like real verified reviews by clients, uh, retention rate for coaches, average number of sessions that coaches do uh, with clients. Um, and so we're able to really apply data to that. We have a gamified system, so coaches earn points, coach score points, if they get good reviews and uh, deliver great service. 
Um, and that moves up in our leaderboard ranking. So we've ranked actually all the coaches in America on our system uh, for their sport and in their state and nationally based on how good of a service they deliver. So what we've done for the coaching industry has, has never been done before. How do you make your money? Do you take a commission from the coaches or from the parents? From the coach. So when uh, that happens, we take a, a percentage as our fee. Uh, in return, we're providing the technology, the websites, the insurance on every training session for the coach, um, ongoing marketing and customer support capabilities. Uh, we have iPhone and Android apps for them to manage their business on the go. Uh, we we do scheduling and everything for them. So we try to make it really, really simple for the athlete or the parent to find the perfect coach and for the coach to manage their business uh, so that they can focus on doing what they love, which is which is coaching kids. Um, and then your website? Coachup.com. Coach can you spell U- it out for, for yep. our... Coachup.com. Okay. Uh, can they uh, reach you via the, the, the website, or do you have a, 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 a number? Absolutely. Um, and feel free to shoot me an email. Um, I... I deal directly with clients and coaches all the time myself. It's really important that we deliver great service. I actually use our website to train currently in boxing and in tennis, and I continue to coach athletes in basketball. So I'm, my life story is, is, is Coach Up, and I'm a huge believer in our product and our service. Send me an email, J, just the letter J, at coachup.com. Happy to hear from anyone uh, who has any questions about our service directly. Um, you can also go to our website, coachup.com. Uh, or email us at support at coachup.com as well. Uh, you could also call us, 888-680-4750. How long have you been in business? Since 2000, and we launched in 2012. What? Um, so we've grown very, very quickly um, in uh, just, just over you know three years, not even four years now. Well, I, um, I know that when we did the background check on you we 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 were very impressed by by your progress and that's why we wanted you on the program <clears throat> we thought you were next week but we're glad you came this week and uh, we want you back in the fall when everybody starts looking at football and the world series and everything and we'll talk about it then i'd love to come back on the show thank you so much for having me and, we, and we'll be more organized by then <laughs> okay but, sure thing but, uh, thank you so much. No, thank you for uh, uh, what I uh, really uh, interesting. The nice thing about this show is I get to talk to a lot of interesting people, and you're one of the more interesting ones that we've had. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much. Have a good night. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. 
We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.